Testing. Is it working? Is it recording? Yes. I got to get all this equipment set. Do this. Let it drag on the floor. <laughs> ah. Forget it. Good morning. Um, I need to do. I need more practice at this anyway. So I think I'm going to be doing more of it in the years to come. So. I do have a tendency to race, so you'll, I'm going to work to not be so fast, okay? This will be a bit of a Bible drill, so do you guys want to check it out in your Bibles, what I say? Because uh, some of it you may not uh, believe it's in there, I think. Anyway, the, the content of this is, uh, the idea here is, um, I think that it's real easy for Christians to become religious, to become uh, set in their ways, to become used to going to church, become, you know, there's a certain methodology all through all history. And religion is okay to a point, but when it it becomes something that uh, gets in the way of the work of God, that's when it's a problem. So I want to show you a verse here that I need you to look up for me please make sure it's in your Bible then we got we have to talk (laughs) I thought about after putting this up here just sitting down but first Corinthians 420 it says for the kingdom of God does not consist in words but in power Is that in your Bible? So what's our experience in the church? It's mainly what? What's up with that? I'm serious. You know, me growing up in the, in the um, Catholic church, it just seems so dry. I, it, was, it, it literally drives people out because there's nothing, you know, real to it. So... And you read this verse and you look at the church now and you go, what is, what is happening here? It's the opposite of what this verse says. So let's read it in context, okay? Go to um, 1 Corinthians 4.14. I want to read the whole thing so you, you can understand the context. I think it's important. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you to be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Whoops. How do you work this thing, Jackie? Now, now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. 
For the kingdom of God, God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or, or with love or uh, a spirit of gentleness? So can I ask you guys, what do you think he's talking about there? When he says the kingdom does not consist in words, but in power. What do you think he's talking about? That's what religion is. In a lot of ways, it's formula or it's methodology. Isn't that odd, though, that the church mainly consists of words and not in power? <laughs> I'm just telling you. It's a th- I read that and you just go, what? You said it wrong. So um, I want to bring that up because I think it's something to meditate on and think about. Because our experience is the opposite of what Scripture says. There's a component of this that's missing. You know, in the third world, you hear about all these miracles and things. That's because they don't have all the you know, trappings of Western civilization. Anyway, that's, just, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. I, I think the Lord is trying to get us to the point where we're not religious. So I want to show you where, he, uh, where the Lord dealt with the religious people. Go to Matthew 22, please. And this is when he was talking to the Sadducees. And there's a formula. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. There, there's a thing in here. There's a, uh, that Jesus brings up that shows us how to get out of this trap of, uh, of using words only. Matthew 22, 23 through 28. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children... His brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise him up uh, for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers with us, and he married the first and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother, and also to the second, and to the third, and down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken. Not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they are neither married nor given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not heard what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So, apparently, there are two components of not being religious, or how to keep God from telling you, you are mistaken. (laughs) How would you like Jesus? You're mistaken. So there's two. (laughs) Well, this this is the way, folks. Okay, here we go. So most of us got the scripture thing down, Pat. Anyway, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken for that. Okay. 
Component one, understanding the scriptures. Component two, the power of God, right? Okay, so there's two elements here. Most of us have the understanding of the scripture done. All right, okay? Agreed? So, understand the scriptures, which is really important. In John 5, 39, the witness of the scripture. Um, you search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is these that testify about me. Acts 17, 11. Now these were more, uh, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So it is really important that we search the scriptures. And these guys were noble-minded. They, being noble, they searched it daily. So it's not to minimize that. It's a very important component of it, okay? So I would say that you know a lot of us, have that part nailed about searching the scripture. So, 1 Corinthians 2. This is the part of the power of God that we're talking about, where we rely, where we, uh, we really in the Western civilization rely on our heads and really learn not to trust God. And frankly, I think much science does that to us. I'm, I'm into uh, intelligent design a lot, and I can tell you these guys, they actually minimize or marginalize a lot of things. And a lot of our young people are being taught things that excise the supernatural from it. They just, they just are. So that's what's happening. So 1 Corinthians 2, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with purity of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and power that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In some regard, I'm not saying it's all bad, but sometimes we ought to be afraid of the real eloquent. Because what are they relying on? We need to have preachers that are up there that are fearing, that are trembling. I'm serious. I would love to have been there when Paul was going. What was he? What was he experiencing? What was that? Yeah, but what was the? I always wondered what the. I don't think it was because he was. Um, you know, afraid of displeasing God. I think there was actual fears inside of him, you know, that he was wrestling with. Natural fears. Something like that. Something that he was... It wasn't because it was noble. Oh, yes, I'm afraid of offending God. It was because he was scared of what was going on. But he plowed, plowed through anyway. So I think that's what that was. So, but the whole objective was that we... Uh, that our uh, faith not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. See, so that's all. That changes everything. So, so you with me? Make sense? Kind of changing our emphasis. 
So one of the uh, examples of uh, that I thought was good was the Garden of Gethsemane. Why don't you look up Matthew 26? Bible knowledge alone is not equivalent to the knowledge of God. Did you all know that? Does that make sense? It's kind of like a pilot reading a manual how to fly a plane but never fly it kind of deal. That's a poor analogy, but you get the idea. It's true. I mean, if you, you can read the Bible, but you don't actually interact with him. If, how, so the scripture outlines a way to know him. And that's the important thing, is actually knowing him experientially. So let's, let's read uh, Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee. And he began to be grieved and distressed. Then... He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could, could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. A little bit further. He went away again a second time, and he prayed, saying, Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, and he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Garden of Gethsemane is a great example of Jesus finding the will of God. We know God by his dealings. This gets us out of the realm of saving ourselves. So in the garden, in different gospels, Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then in Matthew again, and he went a little bit beyond them and fell on his face praying, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, but as you will. So, to know God in the garden of a garden of Gethsemane, the Lord prayed to know the, the will of God. Gethsemane means oil press, by the way. The Lord knew he had to be pressed out, uh, pressed out like oil there. He knelt and prayed. The Bible tells us that he prayed a second time and a third time in the same fashion. 
he did not pray just once and let it the matter drop casually. No, he prayed three times, thrice. And when he rose from prayer, that is, after he finished praying, the Lord came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. So during this time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, the cup seemed to be yet doubtful. I mean, he, he, he did not want to go through this. But after he arose from prayer, he had no doubt about the cup which, was already, uh, which he was ready to drink. By praying three times, he was able to know God. He would not take anything for granted, but would seek to know him through dealing with God in prayer. In the garden, he dealt with God as well as he was dealt with by God. So there was an interaction three times. He prayed. He stepped away. Looked at his, oh, these guys are tired. I'm going to go get. So it took several times. He was wrestling with this, folks. And, you know, he, he was called. This was his purpose. And at the end of it, he was still wrestling. Can you, can you see that? Him praying, oh, Father. Going to the disciples, looking, I think looking for some comfort. Walking back, praying, Father, is this really? Walking back. And then finally becoming convinced. Meditate on what, what, the, what he did. What he, so he dealt with God. Please, can you take this from me? And the Father dealing with him. So that's real interaction. That's knowing God. So when you have a Gethsemane experience, it doesn't have to be as drastic as this, of course. It could be little things. But it was an, it was a, uh, an active uh, pursuit and looking away and realizing, you know, he was human. We can, we can struggle with these things that God tells us to do and say, I really don't want to do that. And, and walk away, go talk to our friends, come back. All right. You know, there's a process. So the encouragement here is to continue pursuing him and interact with him in all things. I think that God has, uh, is in perfect control of our circumstances. I think he's in, he's in control of the world. Even though it's fallen, he's in control of things. He's, he's God. And if you don't think it, that's possible, then that's, it's a whole different conversation. Or don't think that's right. But he interacted with him through this. And finally settled in his spirit. And then when the power finally came, I don't know if you realize it, but it was just leaking all over him. It was, angels were there. He spoke and, and knocked. I, I looked up the, the, uh, the size of the uh, Roman uh, garrison that came to him. It was at least 483 men. And they fell down. So that was, the, there, may be a, there may have been more because it, in the scripture, it, 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 it uh, uses a specific unit of uh, size for the Roman troops. And I looked it up. It's at least 483 guys. So they were coming up him, and, and he said, who do you seek? And can you see 480 guys falling down? <laughs> okay, that's what happened. If you just look it up. So the power was so strong on him at that point. That shows us what God will give us if we do as well. And for a Christian, this is normal. This is the normal Christian life. 
So a, a lot of times we ought to measure our walk by this type of thing, this type of interaction with him. Because he will manifest his life in us when we do that. Right? <clears throat> ah, but. So I, there's one other thing I noticed. This is just a side note. I, uh, I, I was re- reading through and I said, wait a minute. Paul did it three times too. Uh, go to Second Corinthians. <laughs> okay, so I'm making a method. It's just odd to me. I, I, I guess it means persistence. So Paul, look, Second uh, Corinthians twelve. I don't. I don't know if he's emulating Jesus or what the deal is. But Paul's thorn. Okay. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So look. <clears throat> You can be on one side, you can be a failure and all the, you know, as a Christian, that's fine. But also you can be a, a Paul and still have these experiences. That's why we don't judge our brothers, because we don't, God deals with us individually. You don't compare yourself to somebody else. You're unique, and God deals with you individually. That's what the friends in Job was all about, by the way. It's teaching people to lay off when people go through things. Um, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. To keep me from exalting myself. Very interesting. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. Oh, boy, it makes about as much sense as (laughs) you, you think about it. So... The point here I'm trying to make, though, is that there was an... Paul even did the three thing. He prayed three times, just like Jesus did. So, if you haven't gotten an answer by the second prayer, go to... Yeah. Does that make sense? Scriptural examples three times. So, when you're experiencing things. Very seldom are Christians well-balanced in both points. Uh, I think that's a valid valid statement, don't you think? As far as um, knowing the scriptures and, and knowing the power of God. It's not just enough to know the Bible, but that we must also know the power of God. Knowledge of scriptures alone is not sufficient. We must know God himself. But to know him requires dealings with God and dealings by God. It's an interaction. We will not come to the knowledge of God if we do not deal with him and expect to be dealt with by him. For the pathway to the knowledge of God is through such dealings. There is no other way. 
and we need to take this to heart. So, God deals with us, but we also have to deal with him, and we interact with him through prayer and seeking his face. So how does this play out in, in real life, in circumstances? What do you think? I think that each one of us has, God has his finger on us in our circumstances, right where we are, and is doing something right in that circumstance. Is doing, he's doing a work. It's not accidental. It's not circumstantial. It's not, you know, random. It's a specific, because he's God, right? So in our lives right now, his finger is in there. And if we don't understand what's going on, then what do we do? We seek his face and we pray. And there, it's almost like a promise or a, an example. You three times, and if you're struggling, you doubt, you go back to your friends. Oh, but ultimately, people, 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 Anybody is not going to be the ultimate source of your help. It's Jesus. And so right now where you are, he, has, he knows what's going on. He has a plan for you. He wants you to interact with him. He wants to interact with you. And he wants to show you what's going on. Um, I hear this a lot. And I, this is a bit semantical, I guess, but I really think God is not seeking to display of Christ-likeness. I don't think that's what it is. But a manifestation of Jesus. You know, you hear about people being Christ-like. Well, it's real easy. I mean, the, the, the Hindus can be good. It's real easy to be good. Or, I guess. It's easy to be good. That's not what we're supposed to be, people. I and mean, That's a given. God is not seeking a display of my Christ-likeness. He is seeking a manifestation of his Christ. So <clears throat> that's the religion part I wanted to talk about. It's real easy to, you know, go work off your guilt by doing good works. And I'm not saying you're not supposed to do good works, but there's more to it than that. Being like Jesus, being manifest, a manifestation Jesus, of Jesus is different. Because even when he was here, if you just uh, read the, uh, the uh, Gospels, he didn't even do what he wanted. He emptied himself. And when they asked him uh, to show us the Father, he said, what's the problem? So he didn't even, Jesus, and I believe there's a separate you know, personality, but he didn't even manifest himself when he was here. He did the Father. So he emptied himself completely. And it's manifested the Father. So we're supposed to walk like him, right? So. Huh? Yeah, when you abide with somebody, you get to know them and you become like them. Absolutely. That, that really is it. And you know what? I have found in, in my walk that uh, one person's relationship with Jesus is not the same as somebody else's. It can be a completely different dynamic. Even the way the gifts operate, uh, 
the way he speaks to some people, you know, get, get hear things differently. And, and when I was a younger Christian, I was like, what? How, how can he do that? You know, it, it didn't make sense, but he does. He has different ways of manifesting himself to people. And so we allow him to do that. So, anyway, to boil this point up, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.10, always caring about in the body the dying of the Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. So there you go. So, it's more than just being good or Christ-like. It's being Jesus. And that is, I think, what separates reality from religion. When we're actually... Jesus, you know? And it may be Christian, which means little Jesus, but we're still not just doing good works, but b- being him to the, to the world. And uh, as a body of Christ, we can be. So. Uh, so there are two things... Well, you guys are quiet, you know. <laughs> I'm supposed to engage people. Why come they're so quiet? They, they talk to you. <laughs> oh, they're arguing with you. You should be arguing with me. All right, so uh, there are two things we're supposed to do every day, folks. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another day by day after day, as long as still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So that's one. So you put it on your list on your calendar to do today. And then Luke nine twenty three. He was saying to them, "If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me." So number two. And if there are any more, let me know. I'm, I, I didn't. Those are the two I can think of. So right today, we encourage one another, we take up the cross, and I believe that cross, the dealings of God, are what enables us to become what he wants us to be, a son of God, our daughter of God on earth. Two things. So if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, call somebody up on the phone and encourage them. Don't criticize. Don't encourage. Give them a, a good word. Two things. And the other thing, every day, is this pesky word called the cross. Every day. Oh. So I, uh, it does, especially in this part of America. I, the uh, this particular, the word of the cross is Bible. By the way, uh, it really is not very popular, and um, I think there's a reason for it. Um, I think it's really important that the church. Uh, resurrect that <laughs> and um, 
there are different words that are in Scripture. The word of faith is just as valid, but we get out of balance. I think we're out of balance as far as uh, being really strong in Scripture, but not in the Spirit. I had, matter of fact, I, I remember one particular a gentleman who said he would get up to preach, and he said the Lord gave him a vision of everybody in his congregation. They had really big heads and itty bitty bitty spirits. And that was a word of faith guy. He said it, but the Lord gave him that vision. So um, all I can do is encourage you to do the daily things and then deal with God just like Jesus did. Or like Paul did. I, I really think that uh, we've got things confused as far as the, the work of the enemy. You know, I know that the devil has his own autonomy to a certain point, but that's it. He doesn't run amok. And, but even Paul himself experienced it. And honestly, I know in our religious minds, we think Paul as an apostle probably... Um, you know, was greater. He was greater, but but that maybe I can never experience that. I say, uh, uh-uh. I think that this is in here because eventually we'll have a thorn in the flesh too when we get too high and mighty. And then what's his answer? So maybe we ought to pray that God teaches us how to respond like. And learn how to, how to be weak. 